All right, once again, we have started the new year, and we traded in our New Year's resolutions. That's right, we said we're done with New Year's resolutions, and we traded them in because we want new Jesus expectations. That's what we want. New Year's resolutions is basically all up to you. Will you do it? And Will you lose the weight, or will you gain the weight, or will you get more in shape, or will you look more fashionable, or will you be more successful? Blah, blah, blah. New Jesus expectations is uh, exactly the opposite, and that is a desire that you and I would have coming into this year to last throughout the year, that Jesus, I want to know you. I want you, Jesus, to shape my expectations for what my 2019 ought to look like. Today, we're looking at a famous I am statement of Jesus. This is the second in a series. And today, Jesus famously says, I am the light of the world. Now, maybe you've been in your car here in San Francisco and you've heard that very aggravating person behind you blowing their horn at you while you sit at a red light. And they just can't see everything that's going on because they know it all. And uh, they're blowing their horn ferociously behind you, and, and there's just some old person trying to cross the street, and they just can't see that. Have you been in that situation before? Frustrates me so much. I keep, like, hoping that it will be their mom or something, and I can, like, show them, see, your, your mom is not excited with you right now. Look, 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 you're just trying to be a bully because you can't see everything that's going on. Jesus, in being the light of the world, sees every part of the story from all angles, not just actions, but motives within all of us. So today, as we look at Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, we're going to essentially look at two things. Who are we to judge others? That's our first question. And the second question is, who is Jesus to judge others? And we'll see his competency in being able to do so. So let's start by reading the passage, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up again and said, all right, but let the first one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stopped, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, 
you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Let's pray together. Father, we come right now and we pray that you would meet us in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our doubt, anxiety, poverty, need, abundance. You see all of who we are, a beautiful mixture of uh, who we are, the paradox of who we are. Very good people, very bad people, beautiful, broken. Father, there's um, need that all of us have and we pray that you would be, you would move towards us, heal us. Keep us from hiding and covering up. Help us follow you and and that you, the light of the world, would come to us so that we can have life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are we? Who are we to judge others? Who is that person behind me (laughs) laying on the horn? Maybe it was you. It wasn't you, was it? Anybody in here? No. Okay. Just uh, thinking maybe it was, maybe it's not. But... Who is that person thinking that they are, thinking they see all parts of the story? They can't. We don't. You don't. We're unqualified. I mean, these religious fanatics, you heard the story, right? The religious fanatics catch a woman in the act of adultery. And the very first thing that they want to do, if you look at it here in verse 3, is public humiliation. Let's publicize it. Let's do this in public. Verse 3 says, While Jesus was teaching, they brought a woman and put her in front of the crowd. Verse 4, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Look at this whore. Look at what she's done. We'll bring her to Jesus. Jesus will just bring her right into reality. Jesus will bring his judgment against her. That's what they're wanting her to do. They're demanding death. Verse 5, if you see it. Shouldn't we stone her? Jesus? That's what the law says we should do. Shouldn't we do that? They're demanding her death. They thought her story was over. They're wanting and expecting Jesus to go along with that story, that her story's over. They're wanting Jesus to stop preaching about grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. And they found themselves, within themselves, the ability to be someone else's judge. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. That's you. That's me. That's what we do. Have you ever judged someone wrongly? Have you ever been guilty of that? Have you ever not known all the facts? Have you ever not known all the motives going on within a person? Of course. Have you ever been judged wrongly? Accused of something that you didn't do? Accused of a motive that you knew that you didn't have against that person, but yet you were accused of it. My mother, Nancy Wilson is her name, famous name, Nancy Wilson. She taught me a long time ago about uh, how to view people. And I'm not going to share this story because I think I view people correctly. We all have a different view of people. But I loved how hospitable and how merciful and how loving and accepting my mom was and remains to be. And one of the lessons she taught me as a young kid is you don't know their story. Whoever it is that you're interacting with, whoever it is that you're getting to know, and in this process of learning who they are and where they're coming from, you don't know their full story. Don't assume that you do. Ask questions. 
listen, accept, and love the person that's right there in front of you. The Pharisees, they're, 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 they're not into that. They've already made a judgment call. They've already caught someone in the act of adultery, and they're already going for the kill. And they want Jesus to go for the kill. Jonah does this in the Old Testament, right? He's angry that God isn't bringing the fire of judgment and wrath upon Nineveh. What are you waiting on, God? Don't you see these people? And yet what God is wanting for Jonah in the Old Testament there for the people of Nineveh is a heart of compassion to get, to get excited and, and hopeful about God's love and mercy coming to those people. We notice this with the prodigal son and that story there in the New Testament where the, 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 the elder or older brother runs off, I'm sorry, the younger brother runs off with his portion of the inheritance and basically just squanders it on all sorts of reckless living, right? And when he comes to his senses and when he repents, he actually comes back home to the father. And we see the father running out to him with compassion and love and mercy. What do we notice from the older brother in that story? We notice the older brother is quite upset. He's quite angry. He's probably livid at how reckless the father is being towards the reckless younger son. That's God's mercy. That's God's grace. That's so much bigger than any of our sins. You, you know anything about goal line technology? Anyone here know anything about goal line technology? Some of you are NFL fans. There's a big game today. I know of the Eagles. We have a fan here. Um, But goal line technology, this was something developed a couple years ago, and and it was a game changer in the FIFA World Cup. And why this was a game changer is there were seven cameras uh, turned towards each goal there in the stadium. Wow, to give a unique perspective on did the ball actually go in? There's actually a computer chip in the ball that connects with each of those cameras that can, well, it can't see everything. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make and that Jesus makes very clearly is that you can't see all things. You don't know all things. Who are we to judge others? People are not in our lives so that we can fix them. People's struggles, their problems, their temptations, their addictions aren't there so that we can just kind of go after them. Light of the world. Cue the lights in the back. <laughs> there we go. That was not planned, but it was, it, we'll, we'll work it right into the sermon here. One of the lights just went off. This is a word here. This, this story here is a word to the church, and it's a word to the Christian community that treats Jesus like the spotlight of the world. The spotlight of the world instead of the light of the world. And the Christian community in the church loves to choose uh, any number of sins and end up pointing the spotlight on that sin or on that person who struggles with that thing and view themselves as superior and religious fanatics that somehow think that they too don't have some struggle or some addiction. People are in our lives not so that we can fix them, but so that we can love them, so that we can get to know them, and that we can identify with those people because we are those people.
people. Who is Jesus to judge others? That's our second question. Who is this Jesus? When we say he's, or when Jesus says of himself, I I am the light of the world, who, who is this Jesus? Right? And if you ask this question, if you haven't, your friends have, who gives Jesus any right anyway to say such a thing about himself? What is it that makes Jesus have the ability or the audacity to say, I am the light of the world? Well, first of all, Jesus as the light of the world, there's perfection. There's absolute purity and per- perfection in thought, word, deed, motive about Jesus. And the way that you and I might view this attribute of Jesus is think about a- an incredibly bright surgical light. Uh, back in college, I was in nursing school for a period of time, and I worked in the, in the operating room. And I still can't, uh, I'm still kind of blurred by some of the lights that I saw in that room. Think about Jesus in terms of this surgical light, an incredible precision, able to see thoughts, motives, intentions of the heart. This is usually where the Pharisees, though, want to make that something that we feel guilty about. And some of us are very afraid of Jesus. Oh my, if Jesus can see all of that about, about me, woo. I should run from Jesus. Um, The Pharisees saw the woman as a whore that had a bad ending to her story. And Jesus saw the entire story and loved her. He loved her. I want you to try this exercise. I want you to go out on 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 a dark night here in San Francisco, anywhere, whatever neighborhood you live in, and I want you to take your, your iPhone. I just want you to turn on the light. And I just want you to just try to walk around with it and try to make some observations about that simple light piercing through maybe a dark path or a dark street corner that you're walking on. And I want you to try to ask yourself, how is this light similar to Jesus being the light of the world that cuts through darkness, that shines no matter what's trying to get around it, even if it's fog, but it cuts right through the darkness. I want you to then think about what limitations do you notice within the iPhone light that Jesus doesn't deal with as being the light of the world. Jesus as light of the world isn't only perfect, but he loves you. He loves you. I want you to think about this type of light as a warm sunlight. A warm sunlight. You know, like that cat that just gets, you've seen the cat, right? Maybe it's yours or maybe you've seen it in a window somewhere, but it gets right to the window, snuggled up, and it just loves the sunlight. It loves it. It needs it. It's basking in its rays. It draws close to us, this light does, in our darkness. And instead of shaming us, viewing God and Jesus as the light of the world, Coming into your darkness and my darkness is not to shame you, but it's to bring warmth and mercy and loves us. Look at verse 7. Back in our story here, verse 7 says, Jesus, Jesus says, let the first one of you who didn't sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Go ahead. You think we should stone her? Is that what you all think? Is that what the law says? Is anyone here without sin? Dead silence, just like it is right now. Uh, Jesus is condemning hypocrisy 
as equally or more offensive than her adultery. It's the hypocrisy that he's going after. Certainly there are things in God's word and in God's law regarding how our sexuality is uh, expressed or known or, or so forth. But it's the hypocrisy that Jesus is going after here. Total silence, awkward silence. Jesus is demanding perfect innocence from the witness. Did you hear what he asked? Is anyone without sin let that person cast the first stone? The point he's making is it's impossible for you to be without sin. It's impossible for any of us to be that way. Verse 8, though, when the woman's accusers heard Jesus' invitation for the innocent to throw the first stone, what do they do? They slipped away. They just, almost like a snake, just kind of slithering, just, just, okay, we're out. Slip away, we got nothing. Verse 10, Jesus asked the woman, and maybe, I don't know, we don't know, but you, you wonder, what is the woman thinking when Jesus starts speaking to her? And maybe this is you or me at times. If Jesus were to speak to you, would you have some sort of fear about what he was going to say to you or how he might say it to you? Jesus speaks to this woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? In verse 11, look with me. She says, no, Lord, not a one. And Jesus says, neither do I. The beauty in this is Jesus is the one who's being stoned for you. That's the gospel message in this whole story. Gospel means good news. It's not just something that comes up around Christmas time. Gospel is in each of the scriptures that we read. The good news found in this story is that Jesus, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, the mediator between God and us, we could never ascend to God. Therefore, God condescends to us through the person of Jesus. Jesus would get stoned meaning all of your sins and my sins would be heaped, placed upon him as an atoning sacrifice for your sins and for mine and for those of the world. I am the light of the world. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's a story that you and I need. That's the champion that we need. The message is not, hey, go have a great week and I hope you do a good job. Try real hard. The good news is Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice, has already done everything needed for you to be justified in the presence of God. That's good news. That's what we're coming to celebrate. That's what's going on here when Jesus says, neither do I. Jesus isn't just perfect, although that's enough. Jesus isn't just love, although that's wonderful. Jesus, as light of the world, is able to lead you. He's able to lead you into your profession, into your uh, career, into your relationships, into your 2019, into your schooling. Jesus sees the potential in every person. And I want you to see and imagine this part of Jesus being the light of the world as like a lighthouse. A lighthouse. On a hill, stability, there's rocks around it. It's amazing. It's been there for years, and it leads ships. It speaks to them. It cuts through darkness and fog. Or maybe view this light like a greenhouse. 
providing light for your growth. That Jesus, the I am the light of the world, enables you to grow this year. Enables you to grow because your, your trust is deepening and deepening in this Jesus. Psalm 119, 105 speaks to me and you and it says, O Lord, your word is a lamp. It's a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Where's my career going? Where's my life going? Where are these relationships headed? It's all ambiguity for me and you. It's excitement. Fear sometimes. But Jesus being the light of the world seeks to be your leader. Seeks to lead you into this new day tomorrow. Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light to my path. It gives understanding to my path. Do you view God's word that way? Do we see the, the primacy, the importance, the necessity, the spiritual caloric intake that the word of God really is to bring direction and leadership into my life? We need it. Not because there's guilt right here at this moment, but there's an invitation to go and eat of this word and to go and be in this word. Verse 11, I love how the passage and the story just keeps unfolding. And just in case you were reading this story or listening to this story and you thought, wow, Jesus is so merciful and loving and we can just sin and do kind of, you know, do whatever we'd like. To do, verse 11, Jesus says, uh, not only does he say, neither do I condemn you, but then he says these famous words, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. It's not a, um, a word from Jesus saying that that's indeed possible. In fact, that's impossible. The words are saying there, at least in the Greek, don't live a life of perpetual, ongoing sin, thinking that that's okay, because it's not. And he concludes here in verse 12, that gives us a little bit more understanding here. He says, if you follow me, meaning perpetually, continually, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in that darkness, but you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is talking about repentance here. Jesus is talking about that whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever sin that's sort of attacking you or you're going to, to sleep with or whatever is there for you and for me, there's an invitation to repent and turn from it and to walk with Jesus, follow this Jesus, walk in the light. In conclusion, I want to read Matthew Another gospel writer here. Matthew chapter 5. And if you've been listening to this, you have already know what I'm about to read in Matthew chapter 5 because it's, it's quite incredible. This I am statement of Jesus, I am the light of the world, is the only one that he shares with his followers. Meaning, he calls you, Christ followers, the light of the world. Wow. He doesn't say that you're the bread of life. He doesn't say that you're the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. This is the only I am statement that Jesus shares with you, his followers. And I'm just asking you, how do you experience these words of Jesus when you hear this? 
Do you view it as a weight? Do you view it as an obligation, a duty, or an invitation? An invitation that you've tasted grace. Here's the words. Jesus speaking to his followers, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's the message once again. Not so that they can see your light, your gifts, your talent, your abilities, and end up giving you all of the glory and praise, but so that that might be a conduit, so that people might give that glory and praise to God. Let's uh, take a moment of quiet reflection now and pray. In this time of quiet reflection, we want to invite God to search our hearts. This God who is light and perfect light. We, we read one of the Psalms, Psalm 119, that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So whatever's there, begin now to confess that, name that sin. And then see a Jesus who who is the light of the world, who moves towards you in mercy and in love to forgive you. And then see a Jesus that leads you to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. And then celebrate with gratitude about his mercy and declare your need for ongoing mercy and ongoing repentance. Father, we we ask you that you would lead us. Jesus, you judge like no one else. You take the blame and punishment for us like no one else. Help us truly love others and not judge them. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.